Well, he kind of dresses like a weird wizard person, so. Oh, yeah, with, like, the metal finger things. Mm-hmm. That's, like, a braver me. <laughs> Be a braver you. Uh, it just takes too much work. I mean, like, right now my style is just sort of, like, whatever happens, and already that's, like, causing minor issues with people who want me to look good in my life, but, like... If I had to, like, also commit to, like, putting myself together to look like a wizard every day, I just... <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warming. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, it's Wednesday, July 22nd, and this is issue number 22. What do you know? How are you doing, Dave? Hey, does that, what, do we get some sort of prize or something? I, I, I went by a, uh, a like shop in Denver called 720 that sells skateboard like decks on uh, July 20th, and they were having like a half-off sale. So nice. we should get an audio equivalent. You guys got this for half as much free as you usually get this Yes, podcast. this is 50% off $0 for your listening pleasure. It's pretty sweet. Although, if you ask Siri what that is, she'll tell you you don't have any friends. <laughs> if you ask zero, what, Siri what zero divided by zero is, it, it's... Internet uh, meme inside it's, jokery. It's one of her. It's one of her sassing. It's like, does she really sassings, do that? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I also a like how she. I also like how she corrects Bruce Jenner. Yeah. To Caitlyn Jenner. I was yeah oh. talking to somebody in China this weekend who uh, no Japan this weekend who was freaked out that we've made our phone AI sassy and I was like this seems <laughs> like a very Japanese thing she was like oh no. <laughs> Um, all right, so we're going to kick off today uh, with just a few kind of gentle corrections or, or um, additions to things that we said. Uh, we were talking last week about the um, X-Men trailer that I saw at Comic-Con, and I mentioned that Michael Fassbender's Magneto talks about losing his family, and Dave posited that that was referring to Quicksilver, who is Magneto's son in the books, uh, it's ambiguous, uh, their relationship in the movies. Uh, there's no indication at all that he's Magneto's son, but it could still happen. No, it was um, a line, one line indication. My mom once dated a guy with metal powers. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, good, good call. Yeah. So, a but, listener, Mark, brought up the fact that um, uh, Magneto or Eric was probably talking about um, his family that he lost as a kid in a concentration camp. And that's true. That that is a thing that that Eric brings up, and much often. more likely considering this is the third movie <laughs> in that supposed arc that we started there. So, oop, oops. Yeah, very likely. But but, do you want to explain why you're hoping it's Quicksilver anyway? Oh, I just think it's funny if it's like two, uh, like Marvel and uh, Fox tried to make Quicksilver happen, and it like kind of, they ended. They both ended up killing him. I just think that that'd be hilarious because yeah, Quicksilver's kind of a dick character. 
If Quicksilver died, I like Quicksilver, but if he died in both timelines, that would be pretty funny, I admit. So, um, all right. And then the, the other one isn't really a correction. It's more of a, a thank you, I think. Yeah. Ooh. Which is uh, just from Hamish. And he said that he read the first volume of Rat Queens. And he said, thank you so much for mentioning on the podcast. It was amazing, weird and silly and funny and disturbingly like my friend's D&D campaign. Just thought I'd drop you a message saying thanks. You're welcome, Hamish. You're welcome. Any of you who have picked up Rat Queens, it is great. I just wanted to read this aloud to use an excuse to, again, talk about that great comic. So. Uh, um, I also want to talk about a couple other comics that I've been reading this week because I went to Isotope Comics in San Francisco for the first time. That is an amazing store uh, with a great proprietor. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, And I picked up like almost $100 worth of comic books. So oh, this is nice. what you've done to me, people. Um, some of them were hard co- like hardcover collections. There's there's a title called Lovable Oaf, which was like a big hardcover sort of coffee table thing. So, um, But anyway, so this week I read the first two issues of A-Force. I read um, Black Canary, which is DC's new uh, Black Canary thing, written by Brendan Fletcher, inked, uh, drawn by Annie Wu. Annie Wu is like my new comics obsession. I think she's amazing. So uh, that's amazing. What I loved, though, is it, my friend and I were in this shop and we were looking at, I believe it was Starfire. And we asked the proprietor, we we're like, should we pick this up? And he was like, he had already sort of taken our measurement and knew what we liked and he was like no do yeah. not read that he's like you want to read black canary um so you know thanks for that that was good that was good salesmanship that was the correct call um and then i also read a book uh by uh jillian and mariki tamaki called this one summer which won i believe a caldecott and, and i think it also won an Eisner or Super Super Mutant Academy won an Eisner. Anyway, the Tamakis are sort of winning awards all over the place. This is a great book. It's not very, you know, comic booky. It's it's a more serious sort of graphic novel situation. It reminded me a lot of Stitches, which is a graphic novel I really, really love. And yeah, I, I mean it's a quick read, very female centric, but not, you know, female exclusive. And I, I really enjoyed it. So Awesome. A Force, I want to say, I mean, A Force is a fun introduction to to a lot of um, Marvel characters that I had never uh, read anything about. So that was really fun for me. Um, I really liked Dazzler, and Dave then like educated me on Dazzler and why I maybe shouldn't like her. This is my first introduction to it's Medusa, right? Uh, yes, from the Inhumans. Yeah, humans. Who's going to be? You know, obviously going to be in the movie, but I got to see her sort of prehensile hair in action um they fight a, they fight a shark in the first issue they do fight a shark uh what sam wilson shows up as like hawkeye thor like yeah, he's up the, the thor. thors the yeah. thors are the police force of uh yeah, this whole thing i mean i've heard you describe what's happening on marvel right now but this is my first actual hands-on experience and it's very confusing and interesting um, and exciting. Yeah. It's, so, it's, yeah. it's been interesting to see how it plays out. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it yet, but it's a fun experiment in where they're taking some of the characters, um, as being able to have multiple versions of them running around. Yeah. So meeting those people, Lady Loki, um, and, you know, Carol Danvers is in it and, you know, she Hulk is the main the main babe. So it's awesome. I really like it. Uh, and it's a c- sort of a crash course for me in what's going on in Marvel comics right now. So, 
Um, that is what I'm reading. Dave, did you read anything? What? Oh, yeah. Well, it's just like the view from Arcadia where a force is set may not be the overall view of what's happening in the comics. But that's the fun of Secret Wars. So No, it's definitely not the overall view. But they keep sort of... Have you read the two issues of A-Force? I have. I mean, they're going... Closer they're going like to, in and out. Yeah, they're going closer to getting to to like uh, Doom, but the other yeah. things that are happening in the main Secret Wars line, which I think is the main story, haven't gotten to Arcadia yet. So it's like everybody's figuring out their own little worlds, but I'm not sure what the main thrust of all the stories is. Uh, this yet. is this is. Uh, this is a good excuse for me to read an email from Tim from Michigan who wrote in uh, to say, you know, sort of in response to some of the things you've been talking about in terms of Secret Wars. He wrote, I'll admit I'm more into comic adjacent culture than I am the comics themselves, but I thought the whole point of Secret Wars was to come out on the other side without 14 different Spider-Men, each with their own comics. Um so what's your what's your response to that question? Yeah, it seems to be uh, like, you know, we've talked briefly in previous episodes about how Secret Wars is split up into like different Battle Wars titles or Last Days titles or basically all the continuity has been thrown up in a way that we know they're going to come out in the fall. With the new Marvel continuity, it's going to take place uh, like nine months after whatever happens at the end of Secret Wars. And uh, so now we're just in the, like this playground world. So it's been really interesting for all the spinoff titles to sort of do their own thing where it's like planet Hulk. There's still Hulk and the red dinosaur, or I mean a captain America riding a red dinosaur around Hulkland, And um, you know, but in old man Logan, he's also like a force where he's been wandering through different Marvel universes. So it's like an old Wolverine wandering around and then, you know, other ones, like all the Old West ones are the 1801s. I forget what they're called specifically. But the time period specific ones are just completely genre riffs like Thor. So it's more like if you're going to get into comics, it's basically free of continuity unless you're reading the main uh, Secret Wars book. It's called Secret Wars. Uh, but like otherwise we're just going to sort of come out and everyone's going to be at the trying to figure out what the status quo is after number one I think I don't know if there's a benefit to like reading all of Secret Wars outside of seeing all these different characters reflected in all these different cool ways without affecting the continuity so basically they're like they did blow up the old continuity at the end of uh, the Avengers and New Avengers line we talked about a couple of months ago. This is like a, we're floating in nowhere land. I'm not sure what matters yet, and that's sort the of quantum effect. realm. Eh, Just I'm not, kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> different. We'll get there. Different. Different understanding of how the universe works. But yeah, Doom stitched all remaining realities into one reality. Right. And eventually, the heroes are going to save it, but it's unclear how that's going to precipitate something else and like if it's going to matter anything that's happening on battle world right now but you know it's fun if you want to see like an old west version of captain america or and who doesn't though if you want to pick up right after where days of future past left off so all your x-men still look like they're in the 80s it's been fun little back and forth the spider-man thing is weird because they're like let his daughter live but he also kills now it's, you know, different reflections on characters. Um, I did want to mention one more comic that I read this week, uh, which is actually a DC comic, 
Um, I know I read like two DC comics. Ooh, what the hell? Oh, I also have one um, more, but go ahead. Um, and I believe it's called Superman Action Comics Justice. <laughs> but it's hard for me to determine from this cover what the exact title is. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen this... If you haven't, if you didn't see Dave, Dave and I were talking about this on Twitter. You know, my friend picked this up for me because uh, he wanted me to sort of see the new Superman design that's going on right now, or Hard Truth, I think is what it's called, Hard Truth Part Two. And um, so, what's going on with Superman right now? It seems is that he's largely depowered. Like he's still a big, muscly guy, but he's largely depowered. He has lost his suit. All he has left of his costume is. Um, scraps of his cape that he wraps around his knuckles and used to like punch people. Um, he's wearing jeans, work boots, and a Superman T-shirt that he picked up at a gas station, and he's got like a broy buzz cut. It's not even broy. It's like I don't know what to call it. Anyway, um, you know, n- this is no slight on on grease monkeys, but Superman looks like a grease monkey. I like. <laughs> I am friends with a lot of grease monkeys. I like them, but it's, this is just like a weird. Um, very weird look for, for Superman, Clark Kent, Clark Kent, who I consider to be one of our cherished nerd superheroes. I mean, there are a lot of nerd superheroes, you know, Peter Parker's a nerd superhero, Bruce Banner's a nerd superhero, but you know, Clark Kent, yeah, he's a farm boy, but he's a farm boy who, you know, is a journalist. Like, you know, he's a nerd, right? And so to see him Uh. not, not in the suit, to see him, um, looking so broy is really jarring to me. That being said, you know, as many people point out the the idea of what they're doing, like having a depowered Superman is kind of interesting and and also what they're trying to tackle in this particular uh comic at least is the idea of police brutality. Which is, you know, an admirable subject to tackle in a Superman comic. I think that's interesting. Um but the design is is really weirding me out. So yeah, uh, I, you're I gonna argue with me about nerd nerd superheroes? Oh, I don't, I don't think that Clark Kent's a nerd. I think that's a portrayal of uh, Clark Kent uh, from the movie. But which I, I movie? Uh, the first one, Superman. Christopher movie. Reeve. Yeah, the Christopher yeah. Reeve version of Clark Kent. I mean, I will admit that Chris, my Christopher Reeve is definitely flavoring my my interpretation of Clark Kent. But I also I I feel like. Um, no, you're right. Christopher Reeve was the nerdiest. I was gonna, I was gonna give myself some bona fides because I did watch the old like black and white TV show as well. But um, you know, George Reeve was more like square jaw sort of thing and not doing the the bumbling thing that that Christopher Reeve did. So yeah, Christopher Reeve kind of turned it into this like exaggerated thing. So and Brandon Brandon like, Routh did a similar thing with you know he was basically aping Christopher right, Reeve because that's supposed to connect continuity, connect yeah. somehow, but. It's like in terms of Clark Kent, he's just sort of been a reporter or a TV newsman or like sort of a father to like a super family. I guess I just really like Christopher Reeves' Clark Kent a lot. But it's more like he's he's dorky now because he's supposed to be standing up for these all American values where for the majority of like Superman. Yeah. And that's more corny than the nerdy. Right. Right. That's like hokey. Yeah. In a nice way. Which is good. It's it's a good portrayal of Superman, but I'm not sure I would classify him as one of the nerd superheroes just because he wears glasses. 
But they're such big glasses. They're, okay, <laughs> that's true. But how thick are they? <laughs> Good question. Um, all right. So yeah, take a look at take a look at the current design of Superman and let us know if you have any thoughts on that. I mean, the design should not get in the way. There, I mean, I showed it to some uh, you know comic book readers that I know, and they really objected also to the anatomy of what's going on in some of these designs. I don't want to like just totally harsh on this one artist, but. Um, I don't know. It's not. It's not. Not great, in my opinion. It's oh. yeah. It's a. It's got. From what you've shown me, the proportions confuse me. But like a lot of times, it does with Superman. I think it's supposed to. Right. Th- this is what we're supposed to aspire to, whatever Superman is. So I'm gonna shape my head a little bit more. Tiny heads and lots of lots of arms mm-hmm. and shoulders. Mm-hmm. All the arms and shoulders. Yeah. By the time I get there, they'll redesign Superman. It'll be horrible. But uh, <laughs> you know, to the gym. Uh, to the gym. All right. To the super gym. So we're going to talk a little bit about some DC television. We also uh, are going to talk. Ooh, at- I wanted to bring up uh, one more comic thing. I. Yes. I- uh, bought my friend's uh, comic debut in trade paperback form. Uh, I went to dramatic writing school with Kay Perkins, who did an arc on Supergirl that has now yes. been released in trade paperback for Supergirl Volume 6. It's called Crucible, where uh, Kara basically goes off planet with a whole bunch of other superpowered beings and basically goes to like a space Hogwarts where not everything is as it seems, but uh, it was super enjoyable. Uh, not as a pun or whatever sort of joke that would be, uh, <laughs> not as a reference to the title of the thing I'm saying, but it was nice to see uh, Supergirl. They have some other books uh, um, on other sides of that arc uh, to sort of contextualize where Supergirl is in the overall run, but it was nice to see her not on Earth and amongst people who are also powerful because it sort of let her be a character where a lot of times Supergirl when she's stuck on earth and just being someone's cousin or a pawn in somebody's plan to take over something uh she kind of just hits the I'm Supergirl's cousin I need the sun to power me I want to do good but sometimes do bad by accident and uh it it dimensionalized her by making her putting her amongst other superpowered people so that was that was nice I liked it Cool. We'll check it out. Uh, Supergirl. Volume six, six. Number six. Number Crucible. six. Um, and yeah, you might want to read up on that before um, the TV show starts just to get a sense of where she is and where Kara is in the books right now. They released a new poster from the Supergirl TV show today um, where I didn't notice this in the pilot, but it looks like Kara has like thumb loops on her on her sleeves, which I love. What a great little detail. Just to keep them down. Just to keep her sleeves down as she's punching the shit out of people, you know? That's nice. Uh, it is. practical. I like it. Uh, it's like pockets on a dress. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about some DC television stuff. We are going to talk about Ant-Man in a little bit. And probably, you know, pre-spoiler, post-spoiler. We also have a spoilery discussion that I want to have about Batman v Superman rumors uh, and Batman v Superman facts. <laughs> and <laughs> before before we get to that, I will mention really quickly that it was announced that Liddy Sif is going to have an expanded role in Thor Ragnarok. I feel like Jamie Alexander was supposed to have a bigger part in the last Thor movie and she injured herself. And so they had to cut her part down. I believe that's true. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's really hard to get me interested in a Thor movie because they're my least favorite of all of all the Marvel movies. Um, 
and I while I like Jamie Alexander, this news isn't exactly doing it for me. So, uh, yeah, I I imagine she feels like she has a bigger part, and maybe that manifests as a bigger part. But I wouldn't look for Lady Sif to be integral to the plot. It just seems like is Natalie Portman in Thor three. I mean, I guess we're assuming just uh, at this point, uh, but I guess she doesn't have to be because it wouldn't necessarily have to take place on Earth at all. You imagine you would want to have people on multiple planes of reality uh, have stakes. So I would hope that she's in there. But it's like... Uh, I, I mean, Natalie Portman's shooting like nine movies well, coming it's also, up. It's also has to wrap up a trilogy, so it's going to be between the two brothers. It's going to be it's gonna yeah. end up being a bro movie anyway you cut it. But I'm wondering if Jane is hardly in it at all, which is possible. Uh, it really feels like Natalie Portman's not interested in being in the movies. Um, if Jane's hardly in it, you know, and, and it seemed like they were quasi setting up a love triangle between Lady Sif and Jane and Thor. And so, you know, maybe Lady Sif will be in, in this one more. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, all right. So let's talk about some DC television. Let's. Um, we it off our Comic-Con discussion. Yeah, so I missed the DC television panel, um, or the Warner Brothers television panel, rather. But um, I did get messages all day long leading up to the panel. I think it was on Saturday night um, that, you know, are you st- are you going to go to this panel? My friend who's an acrobat is it like a bunch of people, new acrobats and fire breathers and all these, I don't know, whatever, performers who were part of this. So, so Warner Brothers did a big splashy you know, aerial show to go with their panel. And we, we didn't talk about this. But anyway, they, they also made a few announcements. Um, Dave, do you want to talk about what happened around Arrow? Oh, yeah. Stephen Amell came out in the new uh, season four Arrow costume. He's now Green Arrow, as he referred to himself in character, as Oliver Queen and Green Arrow, which is not something that Oliver Queen or Green Arrow would do. But it was Comic-Con, hey... And uh, you revealed that the name of Starling City is now going back to Star City like it is in the comics. I don't know if that's going to be an in-story thing or if it's going to be something that happens. Uh, But he was very insistent that we notice that little bit of exposition in his one minute and 40 second monologue uh, (laughs) before the panel. That was mostly there to show off uh, the new suit, I believe. Yeah, and it's online. The big, the biggest change, I believe, in the new suit. I mean, it's got a lot of like extra frills happening, but he's got his bicep exposed, which before his it was sort of like a green leather jacket, and now it's yeah. you know there's and like weird shoulder pad, much things. brighter green than yeah. has ever been before. Yeah, um, and Stephen Amell tweeted out a thing today, just sort of like Green Arrow coming back, you know, this many days or whatever. Um, so they're really committing to this Green Arrow thing i'm not sure why it seems like they're veering back towards you know comic references which is interesting um stars well, it's, reac- it's a reaction to the flash doing so well being so comic booky that's and arrow good- sort of really. being drugged through the we have to be more realistic uh ringer that sort of trapped them in a couple of romances that shouldn't have happened and uh, now hopefully they're going to find a new balance between the relationships that we like and uh, some crazy comic book stuff. Like I would a like, sorry. hero, like a villain with a big Nazi pin on it on the front of him. Yeah, yeah. So they announced that, or, or it's, it's been announced that, that uh, a character who's called Baron Blitzkrieg 
in the comics, and I forget how they've renamed him Baron Sites or something like that, um, is going to be a villain in season four. And in the comics, he's got like a big swastika pin holding his red cape on and other Nazi imagery on his on his uh, breastplate. So, you know, I don't think they're going to quite do that, but it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see swastika pins, but it's going to be interesting. Um, and um, what else was I going to say? Oh, the, I feel like the Star City thing was a plot, like that, that Brendan Rouse character wanted to rebrand the city. Isn't that – am I – misremembering that like i thought that that was like one of his pitches in taking over the company was to rebrand starling city as star city as if rebranding a city is a thing that happens all the time it, oh. i'm sure it happens sometimes but. i mean i might have just n- not remembered that plot point after like seeing him shrink or something but yeah <laughs> that's very right. possible i think i think that was a thing but but i could be wrong anyway um well either way that's weak i want I, I mean i guess fine Good. For the I sake mean, of uh, reference, why not? I guess so. Um, and then, you know, something that you're sure to hopefully going to be more excited about, right, is talking about what they showed of Arrow, what we know of Arrow. Um, sorry, Flash. What we know of Flash going into season two. Um, not yeah. to, We're not even going to talk about Legends of Tomorrow right now. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, they unveiled uh, Flash's new suit, which has a white sort of, um, what do you call that? Background to the yellow Italian? wolf on his chest. Yeah. What is it called? His chevron, his hood ornament. Um, yeah. So it's- <laughs> what does that remind me of? Stargate? <laughs> um, but he, yeah, it's, it's a somewhat subtle difference uh, between the two suits. But um, as Dave pointed out to me, um, it's closer to what we see in sort of like the future newspaper flashes that we see on on Flash. And it's also what we saw in the flashback when, when the two Barrys saw each other uh, at the scene of the crime in the finale. One of them had a white background. The other one did not. So, you know, we see... Um, present day Barry getting closer to future Barry, which is interesting, right? Yeah, um, which means we're still unclear in how time and the multiverse works, which is always good because we could spend more seasons exploring it and then also have a gorilla. Oh, yeah, they um, said Grodd's coming back too. We, I didn't bring that up, but um, okay. I'm very excited. Um, they also showed a teaser at Comic-Con, which had a lot of information, I'm sure, uh, for us all to dissect. But the thing that got me the most excited is that Tom Cavanaugh's voice features heavily. So what in some form or another, Tom Cavanaugh is going to be in season two, which makes me happy because I quite like him. Um, do you want to talk about your theories on that, Dave? Oh, I, I mean, I want... So they, the teaser is, is voiceover over a blue flash running around which is a flash we haven't seen since uh what is it uh flash is yellow and reverse flash is red blue's new uh and it says zoom is coming or something to that effect which would be zoom or he's one professor zoom one of the uh other uh one of the identities of reverse flash that hasn't yet been referenced on the show, uh, considering Reverse Flash and Thrawn were both referenced previous in the previous season, so that means that I think we're Zoom is going to be Earth One's Flash or a multiverse uh, Reverse Flash, which I hope would be uh, Tom Cavanaugh playing two roles 
which would be sweet because that's what I hope this season of Flash is, is sort of a multiverse runaround. We're also going to get some more classic uh, Earth 2 characters like Jay Garrick, the Flash with the metal helmet that we saw fly out the end. And uh, I also heard that uh, Wally West is going to be in the season, which means another Flash from, I guess, a different timeline. It's going to be great. When Fringe did this, it only got better. So I'm I'm all in favor of uh, what? Yes. I mean, the last season stopped doing it, which is why they should have ended when they merged the two universes. Okay, never mind. Um, I'm really looking forward to Flash, <laughs> not only opening up more of the DC universe, but uh, sort of embracing the thing that made it so good the first season, which was its ability to do crazy comic book stuff, but from the perspective of the characters that we like. And it looks like that's where they're going in all the directions with uh, yeah, Killer Frost being shown in the last preview and sort of uh, hints that uh, Cisco's going to turn into Vibe uh, this season. So I guess, everyone's well, a superhero. I guess. I just, I, I don't love that trajectory. I mean, this is what happens. It's not just comic books that always do this, but it, this has happened, you know, it happened on Buffy before Buffy was a comic book, you know, it, You've got your secret identity, your superpower person with a secret identity and their normal friends. And then eventually all their friends learn the identity and they turn out to have superpowers as well, unless they're Xander. So um, whose superpower was his heart? So I don't like that premise as much as I like the season one premise of all these shows. And that's just the nature of the story. You can't keep everyone, you know, if you try to keep everyone in the dark for so long, then they look so stupid. Right. Well, so. I mean, it's just changing the things that made them cool, right? So, like, it, with the, having a multiverse and transferring things or matter that are not connected to the speed force back and forth in the multiverse can be a job of a non-superpowered scientific person. Uh, I mean, Iris is going to join Team Flash, it was confirmed this year, so she'll be hanging around Star Labs, maybe speaking into Barry's ear like she does. So it's it's just about giving all the characters a certain amount of agency. And, like, they may not go full vibe with Cisco, but, like, using him as a crazy plot device that can remember changes in timelines or, like, identify things that are wrong in timelines, I think is subtle enough to having them all be flashes or something like that. Maybe. I just, you know, I worry about... You know, I worry about any time I feel like a movie or a television show is going to cram too many characters. I mean, this is what Gotham did right off the bat, right? Gotham had too many characters right off the bat of its many problems. This is one of them. And next season, they're getting Michael Chiklis, which is just a waste of Michael Chiklis. So, you know, whatever. But um, that's neither here nor there. The point being, you know, when you're like, well, they're going to add Wally West and they're going to add this character and this, they're going to add this character. And I hear your like nerd excitement brimming over, which I am happy for you. But then I worry that like Arrow is just going to get bogged down in too many, too many superpowered characters. It's a it's a possibility, and that's where we have to trust in the show with the psychic gorilla. Okay, I hope so. As long as Joe stays a, a civilian, then oh yeah, he's gonna smile at least once an episode. Okay, well that's even all I need. even the dour ones. It's just you know <laughs> just break it out for a little bit. <laughs> all right, that's all I need. All right, as uh, as I promised, we are going to talk about Ant Man, but I do want to. We had one more response to last week's episode. My my. Uh, format for this episode is sort of all over the place, but I kind of like it. Okay. So this email comes from Michael Crowder in Liverpool and he says, hello, Joanna and Dave. Um, 
I want to address Dave struggling to think of strong women in Alan Moore's stories. I'm sure we talked about The Killing Joke last week if you missed it. I promised we would talk about it more when I had actually read the book. I haven't yet, so we're not going to go too far in depth. But this is addressing the Alan Moore stuff we were talking about last week. Uh, so anyway, Michael says, I wanted to address Dave struggling to think of strong women in Alan Moore stories. I'm sure lots of people will raise examples from more recent work, but I wanted to take you back to his early UK work with an anthology comic, 2000 AD, and in particular, The Ballad of Halo Jones, an almost entirely female three-book sci-fi classic from the mid-80s. Halo is one of the most real comic characters I've ever read, and some of the stories contained within the epic still still resonate with me three, day, three decades later. I won't spoil plot, but if you've not read it, I would be very happy to send you a copy uh, if you can let me know where to send it. I think you would both love a story that is considered more canon in the UK. Um, and I actually, I had a lot of people talking to me about Alan Moore and 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 his work this week, and um, I'm very intrigued. And I actually, I did a sort of very, very, very uh, informal Twitter poll asking um, if there were any women, because I, you know, I saw a lot of women writers who write about comic books being really upset that the killing joke is going to be sort of dredged back up into pop culture. And so I was just curious. I had heard a lot of men defend it. I hadn't heard any women yet defend it. Um, and I didn't go out there and say, no women like the killing joke. I, but I asked, you know, are there any women who really like the killing joke? And I had a couple of sort of mixed responses of women who said, I liked it when I read it. I'm afraid to reread it. I, I'm afraid I wouldn't like it now. That sort of thing, which, which I heard from men as well. Um, but I did have a couple of women who were talking about how much they really, really love that story and they love it for giving us Oracle, which is a character that a lot of women really, really like. So, and men too. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to read the killing joke for myself and, and experience it. Dave, what is your response to the Alan Moore question? Uh, one, I have read the Ballad of Halo Jones while I was in London because of the guy who worked at Gosh Comics. So shout out there. <laughs> for uh, comic book employees. Um, otherwise, I managed to find in between episodes an interview Alan Moore gave in which he gives a very lengthy answer about how he portrays uh, females and sexual violence in his work. I'm going to link it uh, in the show notes rather than read it or try to summarize it because he Alan Moore's all over this thing, which is like multiple paragraphs of very specific phrases and sentences that I don't want to break apart. So uh, especially when you're talking about things like sexual violence being in fiction, why would I abbreviate that and face the wrath? So check it out <laughs> uh, at uh, Batman v Superman, enterthenight.com, or on the show notes in your uh, super device you're listening to right now. All right, so Alan Moore, in his own words. Uh, Defends himself. Coming, coming to you. All right, so I'm going to use this e this email from uh, one of our most faithful emailers, Mike in Riverside, um, to lead us into our Ant-Man discussion. Um, he says, I assume the next week's episode will be about Ant-Man, so here's some brief thoughts on it. It's earnest and... Darn it has a lot of potential in showing a different way of doing things in the MCU for action and spectacle. But overall, I thought the film told me more about told me about character more than it showed. Um, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Pena, and Michael Douglas really did a lot with a little. Seeing how Hope was constantly pushed into a supporting role was very annoying. Yet I still want more. There's something there that I like, and maybe if Reed and company had more time to work on the script, things would be better, or maybe Marvel's infamous post-production would round the square peg to fit its round hole. Uh, Dave, what's your initial response here? Oh, 
Oh, I want to start with you. I did oh. a review episode on Ant-Man for... Yeah, on Fighting the podcast. Worm, which was great. So I've, I feel like I've already processed and know where I'm coming from, but I, <laughs> I, I have no idea where you're coming from on Ant-Man. Well, as I told you right before we started recording this, I was listening to the Peyton Reed uh, interview on the Empire podcast, Ant-Man spoiler special, uh, which is great, and you should listen to that. And the interviewer does a good job of asking some of the more sensitive questions, like when he's like, Basically, wants to say, doesn't make sense that Corey Stahl would be, you know, exposed to the chemicals since we never saw him experimenting. And then Peyton Reed, you know, explains it. Anyway, um, I guess what's interesting to me, and I had read in an interview, and then I heard, I heard uh, Peyton Reed say it. A lot of the stuff in the script that I had pegged as Edgar Wright stuff actually wound up being Peyton Reed stuff. So that's, or, or Adam McKay stuff, at least. And so that was really interesting to me. Um, that I was like, oh, I, I think I think I see what Edgar Wright was trying to do and where Marvel, you know, had to, like, flatten it. Uh, and I was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, provided Peyton Reed's telling the truth, which which I believe he is. So, um, But my favorite part of the film, absolutely, hands down, was were, were Michael Pena's two sort of big things, which seemed so Edgar Wright to me. Mm. and and weren't so um i think that's that's interesting so okay i mean because a lot of us if we're edgar wright fans we're going to go in with this like weird chip on our shoulder about whatever happened to edgar wright which will remain a mystery until it's not um uh, okay that aside i liked it i would give it a solid b plus yeah Um, i i enjoyed it uh it's not going to rank as one of my top marvel films of all time um, but I, I liked it as being different. I liked that it was unburdened from a lot of the connective tissue that we see, um, weighing down other Marvel movies right now. You know, you've got some Falcon stuff, you've got some, uh, you know, post-credit stuff that we'll talk about later, but overall, you know, this is very much a story about these characters, Hank Pym, uh, Hope, Scott Lang. It's Hope Pym, right? It's not Hope Van Dyne, right? I think it is Hope Van Dyne. Okay, well, that's kind of cool and sassy of her. Yeah, she well, she can't because she's you know where where she is at the beginning of the movie and what her relationship's supposed to be with her father. She okay. (laughs) So I like that it's about these characters. I like that they used you know this is this is a local bias. I like that they used San Francisco and made it seem actually like San Francisco, and they didn't just set a movie in San Francisco so they could blow up the Golden Gate Bridge again. Um, that was nice, uh, except that they drove over the Marin headlands to get back from, um, uh, San Quentin to the Tenderloin, which was insane. But other than that, um, (laughs) gotta have that shot. (laughs) You gotta have that shot of the bridge in the background, I guess it was really stupid. But, uh, once they got into the city, you know, and, and the treasure Island stuff was kind of fun too. So I liked that. Um, yeah, you know, Paul, Paul Red was great. I think he could have been, um, you know, I don't know. It's this whole question of like, is Ant-Man weird? Is Guardians of the Galaxy weird? Is Marvel allowed to do weird? You know, and I think Paul Rudd could have been a little Paul Ruddier if he wanted to be. Um, you know, and, and the, there is just one shot of him shirtless that he apparently, you know, gave up alcohol for a whole year in order to get the physique that was required for that one shot. And I just feel like that that kind of superhero nonsense is, I think, unimportant to me. You know, I would much rather just have Paul Rudd do what Paul Rudd does best, which which he does occasionally in here. Oh, the other sequence that I really like, there's a there's a break-in at the beginning involving a safe. 
Yes. That was not, that was all, uh, Adam McKay as well. So, you know, like a lot of those details, the, these are the things that I liked the best and it ends up that they were the parts of the revision. So I just think that's really interesting. I mean, if I could speculate on how that happened, I think that once they lost Edgar Wright, I mean, if you remember that time period on the internet, everybody was sad because they thought that Edgar Wright would be the person to bring a sort of vision to a marvel movie outside of what you know the marvel formula is and as it became obvious that that wasn't going to happen i think that the um production crew you know saw what captain america the winter soldier did by like sort of aping a 70s political thriller they said and doubled down on heist as a way of sort of giving ant-man the flavor that everybody was going to expect it to have anyway but from what i understand well i mean Henry did say that the heist was Edgar and Joe. The heist, well, I mean, maybe they made it heistier. Right. Well, I mean, like committing to like the tropes of what a heist movie would yeah. be. I have no doubt that the original script was basically the same heist, but uh, like you know, the adding uh, scene in the middle where you know he has trouble with the heist and you know everybody thinks he fails, and adding the montages and like the sort of Ocean's Eleven aspects of how the camera moves that all feels like a, well, we can't have it be a director flair, so let's commit to a genre. And I mean, I'm not saying yeah. that in a negative way. It worked for me. Oh, no, yeah, I agree. Someone compared it to Sneakers, and that's just a bridge too far, though, because Sneakers is an A++ movie, and this is a B-plus movie. Just because they're both heist movies set in the Bay Area does not mean that they're worth talking about in the same breath. So, it's a fair, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I I liked Ant Man, but Sneakers is perfect. So it's uh, but, yeah, it's no. a movie you should use it compare like very sparingly when in comparison to other movies. I think. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I wasn't expecting the sudden defense of Sneakers. I I, I was unaware it needed defending. Everybody, knows, I will right? always defend Sneakers. Every, everybody always. knows Sneakers is great. The internet for blind people. That's the only reason I know how that would possibly work. Uh, um, we were talking about Ant-Man, though. Yeah. Is there anything else we can talk about before getting super spoilery? Uh, I like that um, Hank Pym doesn't have all of his uh, curmudgeon dickishness ironed out of him because the character has always been kind of a dick. And one of the sad things that happened when Fantastic Four went to the screen is they had to assume that Reed Richards had to be a nice guy. And he doesn't. There are assholes who are really smart in the Marvel Universe, and they're great when they're assholes. So, yeah. My, my friend who I saw this with who, you know, knows comic books better than I do, but, but thanks to you, Dave, I knew that Hank Pym was like an alcoholic and a wife beater at some point in the comics, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a part at the very beginning where someone sort of alludes to Hank's wife. And this is before we get sort of more information on that. But there's an allusion to the fact that, you know, Hank may have let his wife down in some way. And my friend elbowed me and he's like, that's because in the comics, Hank does that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. But, um, but you know, it's it sort of, yeah, he's, he's a, he feels, he at least feels as like a failure as a husband. And he's definitely not a great father. And so, you know, he, no, he's not a, a shining example of a human. And he's I, like, uh, in the comics, he created Ultron. So all the uh, hubris that we attributed to Tony Stark in the cinematic universe was originally Hank Pym. So, like, right. I love the portrayal of him at the very beginning of the movie. as sort of like this hotshot shield scientist. It's like, I know better than everyone. 
It's it's uh, great and a great special effect. Really and, great special effect. I, I guess it, in summation, I completely agree with you that after Avengers: Age of Ultron, uh, Ant Man was the Marvel movie that needed to be next. Yeah. It doesn't have high aspirations, but it it hits what it's aiming for. I think, and that's all it needs to do. Um. Well, except for the post credit scenes. Well, yeah, but um, I usually hate that stuff, that de aging stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's because I saw it in 3D or what, you know, and I think 3D helps certain special effects look better, but man, that special effect looked great. Yeah. I think that just the technology is there and there was enough reference of Michael Douglas pre-existing from that angle that it was just perfect. Right. They have plenty of old footage of Michael Douglas. I think the only weird thing is that I believe his like upper lip was not really moving the way young Michael Douglas. It's like young Michael Douglas with some Botox in his upper lip is what it looked like to me. Mm, no, um, that's basically what old Michael Douglas is. No, old Mike. <laughs> and he had old Michael Douglas's voice. Like it was like too gravelly anyway. Um, but, but I'm just picking at a, like a really spectacular effect. Um, all right. So we are going to hop into you know, spoilers for Ant-Man. We'll warn you if we're going to spoil like anything major coming up in the MCU. But for now, uh, you can just consider this upcoming section just spoilers for people who have actually seen the movie Ant-Man starting now. Um, yes. What did I want to say? A couple of things. Um, oh, she can't use Hank Pym's last name. She's supposed to be so mad at him that she's used her mom's last name. You know. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of like that. Um, it, it confused me because I've seen her referred to as both. I think that they're not probably not from Marvel, just um, by writers confused as to what to call her. Right. So, but you know, I, I, I can buy that that she's like hates her dad. And her mom kept her her maiden name. She's always known as Janet Van Dyne, right? So she's like, I'm gonna be Hope Van Dyne. Fuck you, Dad. Yeah, take uh, that. You could you name the company after me. Screw it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And speaking of Hope, um, I, I think you know this, there's been a lot written and and better elsewhere on the internet about thoughts about why it took so long to get Hope in that suit. Um, why it will take so long to get hope in that suit. Why it will take so long to get hope in that suit. Yeah, she still hasn't been in the suit. But um, I'm going to say Avengers Infinity War Part 1. You don't think she's going to have it for Civil War? Nope. Matter of fact, Kevin Feige has said she is not going to have it for Civil War. Oh, jeepers. He says Phase 3 for sure, though. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you're not going to put her in. Okay, okay, let me let me read the quote because I think he includes uh, Scott. I guess we I guess we are just going to talk about what's coming up in the MCU. I lied when I said we would separate what's coming up in the MCU from actually discussing Ant-Man. So. OK, OK, well, we could do this later if we want to stick <laughs> to more Ant-Man things and layer the spoilers. Well, I don't know. <laughs> to, like escalate the spoilers. I don't know. Um, well, I just want to say that. Um, it is unfortunate that a lot of Michael Douglas's or Hank's rhetoric about why Janet, though so clearly overqualified, was not ready to wear the suit or, or he didn't want her in the suit to protect her or whatever. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of it is so reminiscent of things that Kevin Feige has said about why we haven't had a female superhero movie yet. Uh, in that, especially in that it just really makes no sense. 
you know, there's this whole lovely part where Scott says, I'm expendable. You're, I might be confusing because I actually watched The Expendables last night. So I'm, you may yeah, not have no. said ex- expendable, but I think he does. Okay. <laughs> he's an expendable. She is not. And so that's why he's in the suit. But I mean, you know, she can talk to Aunt, she can do all the shit. She can beat Scott up. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty silly that she has to be so severely disapproving um, the whole time. That being said, uh, this is my favorite Evangeline Lilly performance ever by a long <laughs> shot. Um, and, and the part where she sort of finds out what happened to her mom, uh, I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought Evangeline Lilly was really great in that. So, yeah, it worked. We got to see Wasp in a flashback and mm-hmm. Hank in a flashback. It was nice. And Peyton Reed said in, in the Empire podcast that there was an Easter egg when Scott goes into the quantum realm. And uh, according to Reddit, that that Easter egg is a small winged creature. So Janet is probably there. And it's possible that Doctor Strange could be involved in – I guess I'm doing the same thing you did, which is talking forward in the MCU. It's hard not to because that's where these little spoiler <laughs> things go. I mean, in movie-wise, uh, what's what's a, what's a movie-only spoiler? Um, the guy with uh, the cross particles gets away at the end. The movie was originally going to end where Ant-Man sort of like caught him and stopped the cross particles from getting to Hydra. But Marvel stopped it for some reason, so they need the particles for future, and that we'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point. Well, and I mean, uh, Yellow Jacket, uh, his hand shrinks first when he's dying, which is the completion of the phase two. Someone loses a hand uh, in every movie. Um, what's, what's it? I forgot we were still in phase two. When does phase three start? Uh, Civil War. Civil War. Okay. This was the end of this. Is the end of phase two. For some reason, I thought this was the beginning of phase three. Okay. Um, what was I going to say about? Um, Oh, well, I think it's obvious, though, if you watch the film, that they're leaving the door open to further explore the Janet stuff, especially since they took such great pains not to show her face. Well, so yeah. that they could cast whoever they wanted as Janet in the future if they decide to. And so. they give, you know, Hank that, uh, could it be? Could it be? Could she still be alive? All right. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, it's not, it's not that I needed hope to be the hero of a movie called Ant-Man. Like, I understand that this is Scott's story. This is Scott's origin story. They're trying to make it as much Hope's origin story, you know, Wasp's origin story as well. Um, but I guess I, I just wish that, you know, Katie Rich brought this up on, on Fighting the Worm podcast that you guys did. After Jurassic World, where um, the, the female lead in that movie with a severe bobbed haircut has to be so like such a sourpuss and so disapproving while the guys get to have a lot of fun. It was frustrating to see that again, I guess. Um, and I would have just preferred even, even if some of these dynamics had to be in place, I would have preferred hope to, yeah, just have a little more fun than she did. We saw a little bit of it, like when when Scott uses her move and she's like, "Hey, that's my move," you know. Like, we saw a little bit of it, but but I I, I would have, I think I could have used a little bit more, I guess. Um, yeah, but Michael Pena for me is a star of the show. So, <laughs> yeah, no, really good. Maybe yeah. pulls off the first successful uh, pure comedy role in a Marvel film. I I really like. Um... What's her name in the first Thor? Oh, uh, Darcy. Darcy. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, Darcy has some good ones. Uh, okay, just between Darcy and Pena. I think Pena is better. I'm just saying. I think. I think. Uh, you know, she pulls it off. Anyway, um, only because she can't pronounce mew mew. I know mew mew. It's really funny. It's still funny. Um, it, oh, and you know, uh, Peyton Reed talked about Fal- like why Falcon? Why have all the Avengers? Why Falcon? You know what was going on there? So he could get inside somebody's mechanical backpack. Is that what he said? No, I mean, he did talk. Well, I think what he talked about is that they thought about having sort of a higher level Avenger there. But then that would distract more from the fact that this is, you know, honestly, I suspect some of it has to do with how much it costs to hire Anthony Mackie versus how much it costs to hire someone else. But, um, you know, that cynical interpretation aside, he did talk about powers versus powers, how he thought that Falcon's powers versus Ant-Man's powers would be interesting. So, so the, you know, that going inside a metal backpack thing um, makes sense. But also just, uh, yeah, yeah, if, if Iron Man shows up or, you know, if even Black Widow shows up, it's more distracting than if it's Falcon, right? I guess. I mean, but yeah, neither of them have backpacks like the one you have to climb into at the climax to remind people that that's a thing that you do. Also true. Also true. Um. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my argument why this doesn't feel extraneous. Where it's like, you know, I thought the, I thought it felt fine. I mean, I think it feels. I think it does feel kind of extraneous, but it's well, the I mean, least offensive kind of extraneous that it could feel. For, I think yes, and the, like it's it's it also makes a lot more sense because it feels like a little comic book adventure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't, like, this is the movie without any Infinity Stones, so I don't really get... Or reference to Thanos. Right, and so when people are like, it's still too tied in, I I don't get that criticism, because for me, like, all the pieces are there for a reason, with the exception of, well, no, even the last one, even the post-credits scene, uh, from Civil War feels like a conclusion of where Falcon's like mini arc is in the uh, the movie. So yeah, I don't know. It feels like a really well self-contained movie, or more so, especially after Age of Ultron. Yeah, um, Payne Reed called it a trial by fire. He's like, I feel like the hero needs a trial by fire, and this is what it, you know. Are you ready to take on an Avenger and win? And that means you're ready to do this heist sort of thing. Um, you, you know, and this might be just be the kind of thing that Edgar Wright was against, right? I could see, you know, if Edgar Wright left over creative differences and one of those creative differences is the Marvel, you know, and Marvel power that be are like, you need to tie this into the universe more. And Edgar Wright's like, fuck you. I just want to make my AMA movie that I've been trying to make for years and years and years, you know? And these are these are sort of objections that Joss Whedon had about Ultron of like all the shit that he had, all the heavy lifting that he had to do in that movie. It's comparatively very light in this movie, you know. And and so Peyton Reed clearly is is more open to sort of being like, okay, if we have to have an Avengers tie-in, let's make it make as much sense as possible. You know, Peyton Reed and Adam McKay and whoever came up with writing that. Um, yeah, in a fairly short amount of time, which is yeah. part of why this movie, I would agree with your B plus rather than like a B, is just knowing how it, it kind of got thrown together and still had to work as a piece. It's like, hey. Paul Rudd's going to be back in uh, Civil War. That's uh, Ant-Man worked. He, they were confident enough in whatever they managed to pull off that before this movie ended, they were like, yep, this is good. 
He's good enough for it to be Marvel stamp of approval. This character is going to survive because sooner or later, one of these things is going to face plant and we're going to see people like cut out of a movie. They're going to be like, Oh, maybe Quicksilver is it in civil war or something like that. It's going to be crazy, but not Ant-Man. <laughs> um, so this is where we're going to talk about the end of credit sequence. And there's no way to talk about it without talking about future MCU stuff. So this is where uh, we will now talk about future MCU stuff. Do you want to go back really quickly, Dave, and finish what you were saying about... I do. This is what Kevin Feige said about Wasp. Uh, She was included in early versions of Civil War, but there are so many characters in Civil War that we didn't want her her to do her a disservice. Like, she flies in, I've got a costume now, and she flies out. With Ant-Man, and I'm not saying that's what Ant-Man does in this movie, but we already know him, we've seen him, we haven't seen her as Wasp, and we don't want to rob the opportunity of seeing her in the outfit for at least almost the first time, and seeing her dynamic with Scott in a way it could play out, so we're saving it. It's going to be phase three for sure. So that sounds like we're going to see the Wasp with Ant-Man, and that means that those two people being in the same phase three thing basically counts them out of like Black Panther and Captain Marvel, right? Because you don't want to take, you know, you don't want to distract from that. Uh, It'd be weird to have those tonal characters suddenly thrown into Asgard, so I don't think they're going to be there. So that would have to be Avengers Infinity War Part 1. Wait, so she's not even going to be in Civil War at all, even though originally he said she was? Like even as, as Hope? Uh, yeah, she's not going into Civil War, I don't think. Ah, oh, jeepers. Okay. Um, so what? basically that shot, that scene at the end of Ant-Man, we're going to see again because it actually happens in Civil War. Question that, mark. Yeah. Wait. What if this has something to do with Evangeline Lilly being super pregnant also? Uh, also possible. I don't know. That makes more sense to me. That they wouldn't use her because she's super pregnant? Yeah. I mean, unless they used her on, like, the other side of a phone call or something like that, where Scott's like, hey, let me call Hope and see what she has to say, you know, blah, 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 and she, and she talks on the phone. But, like, you can't put Evangeline Lilly in a suit right now because she is enormously pregnant, as she revealed in the Ant-Man, like, red carpet. Right. I mean, that that's possible. Uh, that would seem like a lot of reworking because I kind of like what he's saying, where it's like, she'll be there when we can do her right. Yeah, but that's what they said about Spider-Man and Captain Marvel, when the truth was they just hadn't cast those people yet. But initially, right, that they wanted to have Captain Marvel and Spider-Man show up right at the end of Ultron, but they hadn't cast them yet. Mm. Joss Whedon wanted those characters to show up in Avengers Age of Ultron, the landscape's still shifting as to uh, when Marvel knew what he, they were doing with both of those characters. Uh, I think we know at least we're going to see both of them now. But uh, I guess, okay, but here's the point. Yeah. Kevin Feige is the king of, you know, we don't want to do it just to do it. We want to do it when it's right, is his narrative over so many stalling tactics. Right. And like, I think he's the- actually right here. Maybe, maybe. But it's just something he said over and over again, and so it's something that I have trouble hearing him say. I also think that as a founding Avenger, that's the movie that she does show up in, and she is part of the Avengers. Like, I think you'd skip whatever, you know, the Wasp. The cameo. I mean, it is true that that Civil War is way too overstuffed. 
Right, and not about that dynamic at all. Yeah. So it's like she would show up and it would be like, there's Evangeline Lily. You know, like, uh, I don't even know if that... But we're still going to have, eh, there's Paul Rudd. Right, right? that's fine. Because, because we've already seen him in the suit? I mean, I just don't, I... Well, it's, it's it a, doesn't really make a lot of sense pa- Someone with shrinking powers. Like, you could have just put Evangeline Lily in the Paul Rudd role in Civil War, and I would also be fine with that, because it's a power set, and it's about... Anyway, but uh, it's like, hmm, the Wasp character named the Avengers. Yeah. She should be an Avenger as soon as possible. But Janet named the Avengers, not Hope. Like, that's, I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think that that character and her power set belongs on the Avengers. And so shoehorning her in just to shoehorn her in uh, won't makes sense. And I'm convinced that when we figure out where we're going to see Captain Marvel, that that won't feel like being shoehorned in. Uh, and I think that's Marvel. I think even the, I think Kevin Feige keeps saying it because he believes it. Like the Black Panther is going to be our first character sort of introduced via cameo into somebody else's huge movie. Uh, but then he's going to get his own, no, Hawkeye had a cameo in Thor, right? Yeah, okay, that, that was horrible. I'm sorry. They, it was it was bad. They do yeah. know how to not service a character in that way to just <laughs> Easter egg it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they don't that they know what they're doing and they're planning very specifically for their minority characters. Okay. Um. So that is the what we can expect from Hope in the future. We hope, and and um, I wrote about this sort of on Vanity Fair with with now some outdated information. But, um, you know, I did want to refer back to this interview that Jessica Chastain gave to MTV where, you know, I think we know for certain that she was offered the Rebecca Hall role in Iron Man 3, but she also implied that she was offered another role where she wouldn't be superpowered at first, but she would be superpowered later. It seems like it fits the hope character what she was talking about and how she, how she didn't want to wait she wanted to like come right out the bat with the suit with the kick and ass she didn't want to like be a background character and wait until you know four movies later yeah. to make her powered entrance and i think we can sympathize with that and even if kevin feige is right uh, you know it's still just annoying to wait for the women woman to get in the suit and do do her shit you know so yeah and then one day the will we'll all be equal and we'll forget this happened but it is it's painful to go through especially since like reaction time on this is so long yeah like it's not that they should have known to you know start a female character faster like they all should have known but that being said now that they do know it's got to be super painful for the people who are very meticulously setting up the most awesome female character that we're going to get that's going to be our new benchmark is right now somewhere like looking at a script being like, just wait two years. So you're talking about Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman. I don't know what it's going to be, honestly, but I'm, I'm hoping that someone out there has nailed it and is getting super pissed right now just because they can't get it out there fast enough. When I was reading a force and watching Carol sort of zoom around in her adorable haircut, mm-hmm. I was wishing that, I mean, this is, this is the most like, uh, um, Thuddingly obvious thing I could say. But I found myself wishing that Jennifer Lawrence was not Mystique and that they – like imagine Jennifer Lawrence, who's the biggest female movie star going right now, right? Imagine if she were Captain Marvel. 
Like that would just be so huge. We know she looks good with short hair. It's not going to happen. You know, she's already mystique, but she's just like, she's not great as mystique. No offense to Jennifer Lawrence, who I quite like, but like, you know, her mystique is not really doing anything. It's not leaving a lasting good impression for me. Um, but man, her Carol Danvers could be, could have been cool. So, you know? Yeah. All right. Sorry. That's, that's weird. That's weird alt fan fiction that I just wrote. Okay. Oh, um, that's fine. <laughs> I do that all the time. Oh, I do <laughs> want to bring up uh, something else. Yeah. Um, Peyton Reed revealed that we were, the movie was supposed to start instead of that, um, you know, running into S.H.I.E.L.D. directly thing uh, with Hank Pym on a mission. Uh, where and they actually shot it, and you see little bits of it when they're showing the zoom footage. The footage, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It was supposed basically like an invisible fight. We were going to see him take down that whole cell. That was actually shot. But so if I've ever said in the past that we were going to see Hank Pym in the suit, or they released a Lego figure of it, that's like how these things get spun out into super control. That we, you know, are all of a sudden being like, when is Thanos going to pop up in uh, Ant Man? That's that's how things spin out of control. Totally shot. We may never see it, but Hank Pym was like in the suit a couple of times. So, so sorry, I mean, I guess sorry about no, that. Well, no, I mean, like, no one no one should hold your feet over the coals for that. But I guess that means going forward, anytime we see a toy, you know, use a toy as a spoiler, like we should stop doing. This is like this is like uh, well, it was I don't like know, the, the fifth time that I can rem- not you just in general remember this happening of late, where it's like something was released because the toys get designed way early, and then the movie changes their mind, and then you're left with this toy. You know, you're left with a Carol Danvers action figure right. that has nothing to do with Avengers: Age of Ultron. So and it's much more also like a take everything with a grain of salt because it's like that toy thing came out, and I checked with somebody that was like, "Yeah, we shot that," and I was like, "Hey, sweet." So like, I guess that's why you look for three points of thing. But no, I just would have found somebody else who told me I shot it. So yeah, speculation. That's why spoilers aren't a real thing. It's because until it's executed, <laughs> you don't know. You only think you know what you're looking at. But Jon Snow is alive, just FYI, everyone. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Um, the the final end of credits uh, sequence, um, which Peyton Reed revealed was is actually a scene shot for Civil War. That was not the original stinger that they were going to do there. They were going to do some Michael Pena, Paul Rudd comedy bits. Um, and then those daily, you know, Peyton, the story Peyton Reed tells is that he went to go watch the dailies and, and was like, we should use that. But I don't know, this seems like a from above sort of dictate of like, this is going to further tie Ant-Man into the next film. So let's use this. I believe his story, because like I said, that's the natural end of the arc for Falcon, who says Cap can never know about this, then tries to look for the guy on his own, then doesn't work. So he finally has to tell Cap the, about Ant-Man. Well, but I guess the question is, if this was originally shot for Civil War, we don't know when in Civil War this takes place. Sometime at the the Accords have already happened that have split mm-hmm. Tony and uh, Steve. And they've caught... Uh, Bucky. Bucky. But I'm saying is, like, we don't know, like... You know, when some people, what I'm saying is that when some people saw this stinger, they're like, oh my God, does Civil War start with the Accords already in place and Bucky already oh, captured? Oh, yeah, no, this is going to take place further into the movie. Right. So this is a, this is like a kind of weird out of sequence, you know, because when we saw um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, what we saw of them in that stinger uh, for uh, Winter Soldier, right, was uh, before 
the events of Ultron. You know, so usually we would think if if a stinger leads into the next movie, usually it involves something that's happened before that movie is going to start. Whereas this is a scene from, I don't know, well, let's say a third of the way through, a quarter of the way through, something like that. You know, so that's that's just a little that's a little different. Yeah. Right? Oh, and I think it has its intended effect, which is like, Guh. oh, the accords. What's that? Well, it was more like I wasn't expecting to see Bucky. Oh yeah. Like all of a my sudden. friend predicted that. Like he, so my friend floated two theories. I forget what the other one was, but he's like either they have Bucky or this, and I had to like like maintain a complete poker face and then right. they had bucky like and... last week we were like at least there's no one named chris in this movie. yeah yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, the one scene that i can't even coyly hint about but yeah he's like he's like i bet they have bucky and since you had already told me what happened i had to just like fully poker face it which i did but then they had bucky and he was insufferable because he called it okay um is that all we want to talk about in terms of ant-man yeah that was that was phase two that onward. was Ant-Man. Onward and upward. Uh, we're going to veer to DC Comics, DC movies, the DCU. Um, and this I'm going to consider like even more of a spoiler. Eh, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm just throwing up an extra spoiler wall here just in case you want to leave. We're going to talk about the Joker, the Joker's look, a rumor, some facts, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad. So um, leave now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> okay, so there's a you know a completely tinfoil hat fan theory that was floating around Citadel of Crazy Worthy theory that the reason that the Joker looks like he does is because he's actually Jason Todd, um, who is the name of the Robin that we know is going to get beat to death. Uh, before I believe the events of Batman v Superman. Yeah, well, the one that beat to death got beaten to death in the comics, um, and uh, the one that it was recently revealed to be the Arkham Knight in that video game. So that's why he's on the tip of everybody's tongue. Cool. Um, that sounded like a dismissive cool, but I actually meant it. Um, so the theory is that you know the joker as we see him as played by jared leto is actually jason todd who was tormented by the joker um into being crazy he's got a j tattooed on him not for joker but for jason uh, it looks like he's got a bird on his arm so maybe that's a robin uh he's wearing a grill because the joker pulled out his teeth you know all, all this sort of stuff um which leads to a fun little theory um yeah i, I think it's kind of fun um, it is uh, not true. No. And uh, Dave, what is your evidence that it is not true? I think we're going to see the Joker beat Jason Todd to death in Batman v Superman. Um, and that Jason Todd is going to be played by? Oh, this is actually a heroic Hollywood scoop, but I believe it to be true. Uh, Zack Snyder's son. So- He's an 18-year-old football player. He's also the kid that played young Leonidas in uh, uh, 300, and his first name is Eli. I got to chain all those facts together because otherwise he's unnotable. So if you go to Heroic Hollywood um, and look at the photos of him in his like super, super tight football jersey, uh, he looks like Zack Snyder in the face a little bit. Anyway, I hope that he doesn't have any lines. 
Because that's the kind of like stunt sun casting that I can get behind. I'm looking at you, Glenn, from Mad Men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he just shows up and gets beat to death, then it doesn't matter if he's a good actor or not, right? He's he's a cute looking kid, so you know, yeah, going to fill out that suit that we see. Yes. very well. Yes. So uh, you know, so much for that theory. Jared Leto is always was the Joker. And he's going to beat a kid to death. And the important thing is that we not know who the Joker is. We've tried to talk about with Gotham and with the killing joke. Certainly now. I mean, like, even if this does end up being true because the DC universe decides to throw continuity out the, like, the window by the time we get to 2018's Batman, uh, like, it's not true now. Um, if they do like hush with the Joker, God, that'd be so bad. (laughs) So yeah, that is that particular fan theory theory exploded, but that's the kind of shit that I love. Cause you know, he had like, I don't know, 20 points. He had a yarn wall, whole yarn wall backing that theory up. So, I mean, I like the theory building. I also think it's hilarious how people are trying to talk themselves into liking these tattoos. They didn't. They did look not as bad in motion. They're still awful, but they look better in motion than they did in that goddamn photo. Yeah, I mean, he's also ridiculous. I mean, I'm still in favor of it because the performance seems to be coming through. I'm, I'm reading Joker, but it is hilarious how it's like we see a picture with the tattoos and people are like, "Well, he's not going to have those in the movie." And then we see him on set, and it's like, "Well, maybe he like gets them later." And then we we see a trailer, and it's like, well, maybe it's because they have meaning. <laughs> Give it up, guys. The tattoos are just there. Deal with them. No or reason. Not. Ha 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 ha. Hashtag ha, damaged. <laughs> um, all right. Is there anything else we forgot to talk about in this epic episode? No. It sounds like we're back in we're back into our groove. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep trying to read more comics, guys. Uh, I got some access to Comixology and Marvel Unlimited, so I'm trying to dig more into comics um, to keep the balance between TV and film and actual book reading. Um, Yes. Uh, The next thing I'm probably going to read is Super Super Mutant Academy, also by Jillian Tamaki, um, which I hear is amazing. So that's, you know, if you guys want to check that out and read along with me or listen for my book report next week but i'm probably just gonna say it was awesome Ooh. I think like that e- i think we have an email question where well, somebody asked us between which trade paperback between a captain marvel and a miss marvel paperback so maybe i'll commit to answering that question next week i'll reread both of them sorry it's super mutant magic academy i had a question i, I was listening to you and my question is a follow-up to what you said yes which is that in a force mm-hmm. there's a character named miss america Mm-hmm. America Chavez, who gets like, well, spoiler, something happens to her. Like, she's not on the cover. <laughs> like, she, I open the book and she's like not on the cover. So I was like, who is this chick? And I've never heard of her. Um, and then she's not there anymore. Um, so is that a character that exists outside of A Force? Is that a real character, Miss America? Yeah. Yes. America Chavez. Yes, that's one of those that uh, I. I'm pretty sure I know where she came from, but it would probably be safer of me to okay. wiki it for later. But yes, we like America. Cool. She does have a cool jacket. Mm-hmm. And it, well, I just, I was like, is her name really Miss America? That's 
that's crazy. Okay, sorry. That's that's my ignorance coming through. Well, um, that might be connecting her to something. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Not not nearly as interesting. Just to, to, don't worry about it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll make sure to do my due diligence. I don't want to tell you like Deadpool is a mutant or anything. <laughs> All right. Uh, in the meantime, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me podcasting at fightinginthewarroom.com, writing at latino-review.com, forbes.com, and geek.com, and on Twitter at da7e. My name's Jonah Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.